Um, if you're a visitor today, thank you for being here. If you haven't ever filled out a visitor card, there should be one in the seat in front of you. And I'd like for you to fill that out. We'd love to have a record of your visit with us. I'm going to go right to preaching of God's Word today without any great lead-in. Um, I want to, we're not going to stand on the text because I'm going to hold off text till a little bit farther down in the message. But in doing so, have you ever, ever see a program every now and then comes on the radio or television and they'll have like a disclaimer at the bottom and said, the views reflected in this program may not necessarily be the, the views of the particular in, broadcasting station or whatever. Well, today, I'm going to preach to you a message entitled, My Beliefs. I can't say that these beliefs are shared by every person here under the sound of my voice. I can't say that they're shared by those that are watching on Facebook for as long as they're going to keep us on Facebook. I could say these are my beliefs today. You knew that the Sunday after election, when you got in your vehicle and you drove down to First Assembly of God, that the pastor that would be waiting on you would have a message that would not overlook the activities of this past week. Okay? So I'm going to allow that to create within me a sense of boldness because I'm a nice guy. I don't like to hurt people's feelings. It's just that I've always been considerate of others. And I hope to always be so. But today, these are my beliefs. At the end of this next little while of time, um, whatever you choose to do with them, that's what you choose to do with them. I have a microphone. I have a platform. I have an opportunity. You've come to give me this moment to be able to share. From there, we leave it entirely to God. So let's pray. Father, I love you. I'm so grateful to have a church family, family of friends, fellowship. God, where we come together to worship you. I'm so grateful that we didn't allow anything to, to restrict our worship. That, Father, no matter what has or is taking place in this nation, the group of men and women that came to this house today said, no matter what, my God is great and he is greatly to be praised. And they, Father, lifted up their voices in the words of John Wesley, lustily today, God. Their voices were heard in adoration, song, praise, and declaration to you today. And we are so grateful. Now, for a few moments of time, Father, if you have chosen me to speak this word to this church family, I pray that you, met, you let preaching be easy in this house. Now, let me speak to the hearts that are receptive of all ages today, God of heaven. And I'll be thankful for it in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Let me take just a moment of time, kind of as always, or occasionally, I like to flip the script and try to allow you to see things from the perspective of the pastor for a little while, because, you know, I have great respect for men and women that serve in the pastoral ministry. I do personally. They give their lives to help you develop your faith and communion with God. Many times they lay aside their own personal aspirations, career goals, plans, and paths in order to be the hub sometime of criticism, sometimes of unity, but they do so out, most of the time out of a sincere heart. I have attempted in 2020 not to bring the presidential election into my sermon series, um, and I have done a fair job of that, and it's been difficult to do at times because I wear this right here many times, this black outfit, this black shirt. You've heard me say that before. Why do I do that? 
I do that because leading up to the uh, American Revolution, the pastors of New England were known as the Black Robe Regiment. And their preaching set the stage for two things, the Great Awakening and then also the American Revolution. And so I attempt to identify with that at times. And I look good in black. But beyond that, I just move forward with it. <laughs> Much of what I have to say today, you know. But some you do not. The overwhelming majority of the people who come to our assembly or listen online are conservatives. So I'm preaching to the choir in one sense. So I understand that. The overwhelming majority, possibly as high as 99%, of this fellowship are conservative in their political viewpoints. I never attempt to alienate nor be divisive doctrinally. But the reality is this, the doctrine, including the political positions themselves, have already helped forge the division. A division that has and will only get worse. I will go to my grave, I've said this for many years now, I will go to my grave in disbelief that the people of God can look at the same thing and arrive at entirely different either perceptions or conclusions. I will shake my head in disbelief of how we can profess a common faith toward God, but we can't develop a mindset to know how to relate to one another and how to manage or to have government that is for the people. I will, I will always question that within myself. Concerning the current state of the election, let me go ahead and just tell you my belief. Personally, I do not believe it's over. I just do not believe it is. I mean, I'm the optimist to the very end. In my heart, something is going to emerge in the courts. I believe that. We know that illegal activity of all types is taking place. The question remains to see if the courts will be willing to search and expose the illegal activity. That's the reality. Perhaps the most recent appointees to the Supreme Court will take on a new role. So we shall see. How many of you know there's a Supreme Court of the United States of America, but there's the Supreme Court of Heaven? And we make our petition to God. Pastor Brown, do you believe that the good people of the United States would purposely cheat and steal the election. No. No, absolutely not. The good people of the United States would not purposely steal the election. They would count every vote for people that they disagree with. But we have watched for years bad people lie, steal, cheat, riot, destroy, and murder on the very streets that the ballots have been counted on. All right now. Without question. Without question. There are people who would falsify mail-in ballots. Change numbers. Destroy ballots. On and on and on. Without question there are people that would do so. To achieve their political objectives. My charge to you is. Press the issue in prayer. The Bible says there is nothing hidden that shall not be made known. Nothing done in the, you know, the quietness that won't be made known openly. So we're going to press it in prayer. We're going to say, God, listen, I, I will press it in prayer. Now, Pastor, so I've been, I, I, I tried to avoid social media very much the last few days 
because I, I get too tore up on my in, inside. And so I, I, I'm, I'm preaching to myself a little bit here. I'm even asking myself questions. Pastor, if you knew the, if you know that the election results are legal, if and when we're ever able to achieve that, and if Joe Biden does win, will you accept it? And I answered it, I will accept it. I will. I will accept it as a legal, democratic, socialist takeover of the United States. I will accept it. The voting booth can become just as oppressive as a tyrant or a dictator. 51% of the people can be just as violent as a singular, evil, dictatorial ruler. Y'all need to know that today. You say, well, I've even seen pastors going on. Pastors, we always have that, that you know, peacemaker spirit. And I understand that. I'm a peacemaker at heart. I believe that as well. So I wrote another question. Will you pray for the leader of the United States? So let's just say that is the case, that we look up in January, and yes, that Joe Biden and Kamala Harris are the president and the vice president. Yes, I will. Joe, Jace was praying Psalm 23. I will pray Psalm 109, verse number 8 for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris, and we're going to post that now. He said, this will be my prayer, and this will be my belief. Let their days be few, and let another take their office. That will be my prayer. And you think I'm teasing in that, but I'm not. That will be my prayer. And I can tell you, Sleepy Joe better sleep with one eye open, because he won't be in the office for a week or a month before they'll have him on something that puts him in a nursing home for good, and Kamala will be sitting in that seat. And that's been the intent all along, and you know it, and I know it, and they know it, and they act like we're too ignorant to recognize it, but we know it. But let's just, don't get me started on that as well. I'll just move on along. I'm just telling you the truth, though. I'm just telling you the truth. That's just the reality of it, and Psalm 109 is my prayer, and I will pray that. As believers, you and I are caught in a quandary at times. We are. And that is because we have to balance the teachings of Scripture with our own consciousness and our own conscious thoughts. We have convictions that the world does not have, right? The unregenerate, their views are shaped in the polluted classrooms of our public schools. And I'm not speaking to the public school teachers that are under the sound of my voice. You're lights in a dark place. But I'm telling you, at the university level, Martin Luther, the founder of the Reformation, or he who started the Reformation, he said... That if we take basic biblical teachings, I'm only paraphrasing, I can't quote it exactly, away from the public universities, they will eventually become the gateway of hell. And so, absolutely, so we struggle. So we, we struggle because we've got convictions in our heart that we're trying to balance. Here's we got on one side, the Bible says to live peaceably with all men. Then we want to be kind, compassionate, and merciful. I do. That's the nature of Christ, isn't it? And I want, to, I want to live peaceably with all men, but the writer Paul didn't end there. He says, live peaceably with all men as much as lieth within you. There can come a moment. There can come a moment when you push good people too far. I don't know where we're at in this. And my convictions, that's why these are my views. I don't have an answer for everything. You and I today, we honor government. We don't just honor government. We pray for government. 
And we pray, for, we pray for righteousness in government. But do we sit back and watch a violent overthrow of the constitutional republic given to us by the sacrifices of our forefathers? Do we? That's a, that's a strong question. I don't know where or what our conviction should be in that context. But I do know this. The land is divided. The land is divided and there is not going to be an elected leader on either side that can unite the United States of America because it is no longer the United States of America. I've been preaching for many years. It is the divided states of America. And we've seen it especially in the last two elections and it's only going to get worse. The division of belief is so far and so wide the only question remains, you know how they're, pro, they're, they're pushing Biden? Biden's going to be a president for all the people. I'm just going to go and go out there today. If he gets uh, officially elected, I'm going to go ahead and be a part of the movement. He's not my president. And you can put that on Facebook. You can put me beside the other passive pastors that say, you know, yes, I'm going to pray for him and he's going to be my leader. I'm going to simply say it today. Nope, I've stepped across on the other side of the line and I know where that line is and I'm not going back. And I'm just selling myself out on that truth and I'm just speaking my heart today. If you don't like it, again, you've got access to come and you've got access to leave. I'm just sharing with you my, my position today. You knew it when you came down here today. You did. I didn't get radical last night. It happened a long time ago. I told this many times and I said, we sold ourselves out a long time ago. Shane said it earlier, we are pilgrims and strangers. But we recognize, here's our challenge as Christians, and this is the difficulty. If you're unregenerate, this is all you got. What's waiting on you is eternal damnation. So you're fighting for everything on this side of eternity. Christians get caught between. We want to live a quiet and peaceable life, but we also know that if we lose all, we've got an eternal kingdom prepared for us, right, in the heavenlies. And so there's the old tra trauma, though, that comes upon us. Are we too heavenly minded to be any earthly good? Are we too earthly minded that we don't have a heavenly mindset? It's, a, it's this trauma, it's this tension that we find ourselves as believers. And so the division of belief is so far and so wide, the only question remains is how long before both sides refuse to live peaceably with one another? That's the question that remains. The other side has already become violent. Already become violent. It's not that it's going to become violent. Listen, you didn't have to, uh, you could be anywhere in the United States and follow this, the, the activities of what took place on the city streets of America this summer to know that violence has especially already come to great urban centers. How much farther will it go? You know, in my heart, of my, I want to I say this today. I'm not saying everything in this brother's dream was true, but you remember we talked about the dream from the Kentucky, the Assembly of God pastor out of Kentucky, and there are three things that I remember him saying. It's the same thing repeated three times that he felt the Spirit of God drop in his spirit. He said, brace yourself. He said, Pastor, I don't know whether I believe in everything that he dreamed. I can't say I do or not. I don't know, but I do believe in this. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. Brace yourself. We've lived in a a little bit of a place in America as American believers that trauma and contention won't come to us. It all is just overseas. It's in Europe. It's in third world countries. But the reality is it's near and nigh. Now, I, years ago, I raised my hand on three separate occasions. I'm a nine-year veteran of the United I do want to honor all the men and the women that serve our great country. 
right? And they laid our, their lives on the line. I raised my hand actually four times over a nine-year period of time. My first time to raise it, I was 17 years old, and I did not have to have my parents sign for me because I was married. How about that one? To raise my hand to say, I will defend this nation against all enemies, both foreign and domestic. The greatest enemies of the United States today is not Iran, it's not Russia, it's not China. It's liberalism. I'm just telling you, it's liberalism. It has the course to destroy the foundation and to reshape the United States of America. I'm going to take you to a text today, two texts in closing this message out. 1 Kings chapter 12. If you heard us on Wednesday night, and thanks to the balance that Jace gave us, on Wednesday I was able, and we were able to set aside our internal agitations and just have our lesson, weren't we, Jace? And yet it was very difficult. It was very difficult for all of us to suppress that uh, of what we were feeling and go ahead and say, and let's stay focused. But I did share one little thing, and I said, you know, God had given me peace. My countenance had changed. I'd spent time in prayer, and the Lord spoke in my heart comforting words. I'm not saying these words were to you. I'm not saying they were promises or even prophetic. I'm just simply saying they brought peace to my heart and mind. And I said I wouldn't share them then, but I will share them now. As I was praying Wednesday afternoon, I'm not a prophet. I'm not ascribing to be a prophet. There are prophecies on all different sides. I preached a message several weeks ago, who's talking for God, right? Because one prophetic voice supposedly is claiming one thing, another prophetic voice is claiming another. All I can say is God speaks to my heart through his word. And I see some things in his word that kind of gives, it helps shape my perspective. It gives me greater clarity. This particular text is 1 Kings chapter 12. It's verses 1 through 24. We won't read it all. I'm going to allow you to keep your Bibles open there if you do, and they'll put it probably on the screen. I'll just kind of glean through it, but let me set the context so you can understand, because this is where I felt the Lord lead me to just bring me some peace to my heart and mind, and that is, this is the days following the death first of David and then of Solomon. Solomon, you know, came and expanded the kingdom even greater than that of David, the kingdom of Israel, the united kingdom, united only under the two monarchies. Dave, well, excuse me, three, Saul, David, and then ultimately it divided at Solomon. Solomon, towards the end of his life, fell prey to idolatry. And the one true God of Israel was worshipped alongside a plurality of gods. Solomon erects many pagan temples in the cities of Israel in order to accommodate the worship practices of his many wives, foreign wives that he has taken as political allies or political marriages. It's led to idolatry. Upon his death, the kingdom is divided. There comes a moment where Rehoboam, the son of the king, before it divides, the text we're going to read is the division. Rehoboam, the son of the king, has an opportunity to perhaps keep the nation united. He is uh, presented by a question by Jeroboam about how will he reign in his rulership over the kingdom. Let's read it. Let's just let it speak to us for just a moment. Rehoboam went to Shechem. All of Israel were come to Shechem to make him king. It was unified in its uh, uh, bringing the coronation of Rehoboam. It comes to pass when Jeroboam, the son of Nebat, who was in Egypt, heard of it, for he was fled from the presence of King Solomon, and Jeroboam dwelt in Egypt, that they sent and called him, and Jeroboam and all the congregation of Israel came 
spake unto Rehoboam, saying, Thy father made our yoke grievous. So here's what Jeroboam speaks to Rehoboam about his father. He says, Our father made our yoke grievous. Now, therefore, make thou the grievous service of thy father and his yoke, heavy yoke, which he put on us, lighter, and we will serve thee. So can you understand what he's saying? Solomon put great tribute, great heavy taxation on the people. Did I say that? Yeah, great heavy taxation upon the people. And Jeroboam is coming to be a mediator, and he's saying, if you can just kind of lessen some of that, he said, the people are going to serve you. And he said unto them, Rehoboam said, depart for three days and come again to me. And the people departed. And King Rehoboam consulted with all the old men that stood before Solomon, his father, while he yet lived and said, how do, we advise, how do you advise that I may answer this people? And the old men that spake unto him, saying, if thou will be a servant unto this people this day and wilt serve them and answer them and speak good words to them, then they will be thy servants forever. But he forsook the counsel of the old men which they had given him and consulted with the young men that were grown up before him, his college buddies, and uh, straight out of the University of Wisconsin, straight out of Cal Fullerton, and uh, which stood before him and uh, said unto them, Well, what counsel give ye that we may answer this people who have spoken to me, saying, Make the yoke which thy father did put upon us lighter. And the young men, uh, the most recent college graduates across the liberal universities of these United States that were grown up with him spake unto him, saying, Thus shalt thou speak unto this people that spake unto thee, saying, Thy father made our yoke heavy, but make thou it lighter unto us. He said, Thus, he said, My little finger is going to put so much taxation upon you and make life so much harder for you, and, and, and be, it, my little finger's going to be thicker than my father's loins. And now, therefore, my father did lay you with a heavy yoke. I will add to your yoke. My father had chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And so Jeroboam and all the people came to Rehoboam. Are y'all catching this today? Now, we're just kind of ad-libbing with it a little bit uh, just to just kind of connect it, make it a little bit relevant to our culture. The third day is the king had appointed, saying, Come to me again the third day. And the king answered the people roughly and forsook the old men's counsel. What a shame that they gave him and spake to them after the counsel of the young men, saying, My father made your yoke heavy. And it's not an old or young but in this sense, you understand the purpose of me doing this. And I will add to your yoke. My father also chastised you with whips, but I will chastise you with scorpions. And wherefore, when the king hearkened not unto the people, for the, look at this, for the cause was from the Lord. Look at that 15th verse. Something just shifts right there. For the cause was from the Lord. That he might perform his saying, which the Lord spake by Ahijah the Shahalanahiah Mahihah, and Jeroboam the son of Nebat. So when all of Israel saw that the king hearkened not unto them, the people answered the king, saying, What portion have we in David? And here's the moment when the line of the kingdom was drawn. And neither have we any inheritance. So the ten northern tribes were suddenly separated from the two southern tribes, and they departed to their own house. And to Israel, so the, the southern tribes called David, Judah, Israel departed to their tents, the ten northern tribes. The children of Israel, which dwelt in the cities of Judah, Rehoboam reigned over them. That's the southern tribes. Then, now King, so King Rehoboam, look what he gets ready to do. So we see a division in the land. He, you see a division real quickly. So, but, but why is that? We're going to get to there in just a second. We're going to go ahead and read this real quickly. These last five verses. It came to pass, 20th verse, when all Israel heard that Jeroboam was come again, that they sent and called for him to the congregation and made him king over Israel. There was none that followed the house of David but the tribe of Judah only. 
And when Rehoboam was come to Jerusalem, here's what Rehoboam did. He assembled all the house of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, a hundred and fourscore thousand chosen men, which were warriors to fight against the house of Israel to bring the kingdom again to Rehoboam, the son of Solomon. But the word of God, thank God for the word of God, came to Shemaiah, the, son, the man of God, to suppress within us our agitations. That's the word of God. The word of God comes to us and suppresses our frustrations and our agitations. There's the challenge again for us. Because we heed and hear, we hear and heed the word of God. But we live in a culture today that's not hearing and heeding the word of God. It's a challenge. We find ourselves again as believers in a quandary. But so the word of God came and spoke to Rehoboam and said this. Look at this, 23rd verse. Speak to him, the son of Solomon, king of Judah, and to the house of Judah and Benjamin, and to the remnant of the people. He said, you shall not go up nor fight against your brethren, the children of Israel. Return every man to his house. And to this thing, return every man to his house, for this thing is from me. And they hearkened, therefore, to the word of the Lord and departed, or returned to depart according to the word of the Lord. So just real quickly, you ask yourself the question, why? Once divided, once divided over the next 300 plus years, the northern kingdom, the ten tribes, were in a constant state of apostasy. A constant state. But God had raised up Israel to be a light to the nations. But that light continued to burn at least for 200 more years because of the division of the land and the southern tribes. The southern tribe of Judah and Benjamin, they maintained the temple. There was occasional apostasy, but God would raise up a righteous king or a righteous priest. And there would be a reformation, and then there would be a revival, and the light would burn in the temple. The temple was there to shine to all the nations of the world who were worshiping pagan idols that there was one true. God. Yahweh was his name. He's the creator of heaven and of earth. Heaven is his throne. The earth is his footstool. There is no temple you can build for me, saith the Lord. And Israel was chosen to be that light. And the division of the land at least allowed the light to continue to burn for a few hundred years longer or it would have been totally distinguished in apostasy had the land not divided. So you say, Pastor, why are you saying this? Because I'm going to tell you how I'm praying. This is me, my beliefs. You don't have to pray. I'm praying. You can pray how you want to. I'm praying for a nonviolent separation from the formerly United States of America. I would, I, in my heart of hearts, say what you want to. I could dissolve. I could see a dissolution of the central government or federal government and return the power to the states like it was originally given in the beginning. The states could then form their own new coalitions if they chose. Because here's where we are. John Adams, on the 11th of October, 1798, said this about our Constitution less than 12 years since the day it was given. Our Constitution is made, he said, for a moral and a religious people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. That's where we are at today. We, have, we are attempting to see immoral, unholy, unrighteous people govern themselves with a value and a belief system in a constitution that was given to us 300 years ago. Let me go a little bit farther. Previously, John Adams said, we have no government armed with power capable of contending with human passions that are unbridled by morality and religion. So I don't know whether it will be fully divided. I don't know. It's divided now. We're just living peaceably among ourselves because you're choosing to remain peaceful. 
The question is, when or if? I don't know. I don't know. I just question. What religion was John Adams referring to? Was he referring to Islam or to Buddhism or to humanism, which is taught in our universities today? Or is the religion that John Adams referring to, is it historic Judeo-Christianity? Can I say that because I have a very poor amen? Only me and Sister Goldie were on that one today. What religion was he referring to? Was he referring to Islam, Buddhism, or was he referring to humanism? Or was he referring to historic Judeo-Christianity? He was referring to historic Judeo-Christianity, the one that is most manipulated and despised in the land. Turn with me to 10 chapters further or 9 chapters over in the book of 1 Kings, and we're going to close this out. And you can fold this sermon up, the sermon entitled, My Beliefs. It'll be posted on Facebook Live until some watcher somewhere catches a little small church in north central Arkansas that has about 500 online viewers and sees it, hears these words, flags it, and it gets removed. I don't know if they'll look that far to the smaller communities like this, but certainly this doesn't fit the narrative. 1 Kings 21, this is in my heart. This is what God put in my heart to give me peace. I don't know if it'll give you peace. It gives me peace. 1 Kings 21 tells the story. It's actually the remainder of the story. A man who lost his life. He lost his life. He never drew a sword. He never fought a battle. He never fought against the government. He died peace. He died violently, but he died in peace in his own heart and life. He was killed violently, but he himself refused to wet his sword against his fellow uh, um, citizens. But it's the third verse, we're going to read it the first verse. It came to pass after these things that Naboth, the Jezreelite, had a vineyard, which was in Jezreel, hard by the palace of Ahab, king of Samaria. Remember the division of the land? Jerusalem is the, is the capital of the southern tribes. Samaria is the capital of the northern tribes. Ahab is now the king. Ahab is notorious for his marriage to Jezebel, the Phoenician daughter of the prince of Sidon. She is known as the princess of Sidon. She has introduced in Israel bell worship. And there's been conflict from the day that they were married. As the prophets of God, especially Elijah, has sought to reprove Ahab for his idolatrous practices. And so he has a palace in Jezreel. Look at verse 2. Ahab spake unto Naboth, saying, Give me thy vineyard. And I'll swap it out for you. He said, we'll swap this thing out. I'll make it a good deal. He said, he said it's, it's a, I'll make it a garden of herbs. Because it's near unto my house. And I'll give you something better. What I've got is better than what you've got. That's what he said. And if it seemed good to you, I'll even throw in some dollars to make it worthwhile. The problem was... He was asking Naboth to do something Naboth was forbidden to do according to the law of Moses. The law of Moses, upon the division of the land, you were not to sell that land outside of your family. 
Once it was allotted to your family, it was to always be retained within your family. Now, another family member could purchase it, but even then, at the year of Jubilee, 50 years, it was going to go back to the family because God intended for that land. That was his inheritance. And Naboth, with the pressure of the most powerful man in his uh, centralized government, Ahab, Naboth, <coughs> I don't know if his voice broke. I don't know if he, if he did it without being nervous or fearful or fretting, Naboth, Naboth raised his voice and Naboth said to Ahab, the Lord forbidded me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers unto thee. There's a word in my spirit. It may not be in your spirit today, but there's a word in my spirit today that gives me confidence, the pressures that come about us, that are the, the, the trauma and the tension and the potential for violence. The Lord forbid it me that I should give the inheritance of my fathers to this socialist takeover of the United States of America. God forbid it. So, Pastor, what do we do? What do we do? I'm closing with these today, quickly. Number one, we're going to pray. We have a weapon that's greater. We have the weapon of our warfare, which is not carnal, but it's mighty through God. We can see God move in the heavenly realm. We can trust in an invisible God who rules and reigns amongst the kingdoms of men. And the Bible says that God can turn the king's heart whithersoever he may. So we pray, we believe, and we pray in faith in the name of Jesus. Number two, be patient. Did y'all hear that today? I know you don't want to be. Be patient. I want you to know today, even about the election, it ain't over till it's over. It's not over because the liberal news agencies have announced that the election results and they've had the party and they've already coronated a, a, a Biden and Kamala. Listen, it ain't over just yet. Right? President Trump has not conceded. So let's be patient. There have been times people have been down on the mat in the ninth inning and it looks like it's about to be over all of a sudden get up off of the mat right and win the victory so let's be patient let's see what happens number three be prepared now y'all didn't hear that because you sit back in the little bubble thinking that nothing's going to affect our little lives but that is not the case be prepared this is not going to simply pass into history upheaval is coming it's already been happening. You've already seen the precursors. We've already had the rumblings. The earthquake has been happening. And so there is upheaval coming. Be prepared. Stop being passive, number four. Why are we the silent majority? Stop being silent. The other side is not silent. You have a voice. Stop being passive. Your neutrality is given place to these things like Jezebel. Jezebel will kill and take. She doesn't care. And that's what happened with Naboth. She killed and she took and she gave the vineyard to Ahab. So stop being passive. Become proactive. Let the voices of one half of this nation at least become as loud as the other half. And I'm going to say that one more time. Let the voices of one half of this nation become as loud as the other half. Number six, are y'all ready? Be pro-life. 
This is one of the main sources of the contention. Before it's economic redistribution, before it's racial equality and all things, at the heart of this is a people that says they believe it is the right of a woman with an unborn child in her heart or in her in her womb to at any moment of time, even all the way to the final day of her pregnancy, to decide she doesn't want to carry that baby anymore, and a doctor will go in and will forcibly remove that baby, sever its body from its head, and toss the contents in a trash can and take it out back and burn it in the incinerator or sell it on the black market against those that say I believe in a right to life life begins in the womb it comes from God somebody's got to stand up for the unborn how come it's not you how come it's not us how come it's not we and you can look and say, oh, Kamala, she's so cool, she's so nice. She's one of the most liberal senators that has ever been elected, and she has stood, she has stood with a voice in what she calls the woman's right to choose, even all the way to partial birth abortion. We live in a generation where the governor of Virginia said he took it even one step further back in the spring. The governor of liberal Virginia said, I believe a woman should be able to give birth to her baby. Lay it on the table and look at her doctor and then decide what she wants to do with it. See, because man that is unbridled by morality and religion has nothing to stop him from paganism. Number seven, be pro-family. I said be pro-family. Before God had a church, before he had a nation, he had a family. The LGBT's agenda has become deeply rooted in the democratic platform. Gender identity and beyond will continue to be at the heart of this issue. The difference is, years ago, they pressed to pursue only the adults. But now they've got the children in sight. Now they will fight you when your child has sat around and watched certain television programs and has been indoctrinated in a mindset and gets up at seven years old and says, I'm not for sure if I'm a girl or a boy and I want to cross-dress. And you say, no, we're going to work. We're going to talk this through. We're going to work this out. This is who you are. This is according to nature. This is what God's put in you. You are, you are if you're born a male, you're a male. If you're born a female, you're a male. That they will come after you. They will come after you for indoctrinating your child into right-wing conservative mindset. They will. Get ready. It's already happening. It's already happening, and so it's gone to a next level. BLM and other organizations have attempted to destroy the nuclear family, have removed the headship of a husband father from the house, and the end result is a generation of young adults filled with hate for family, hate for religion, and hate for civil government. Mob rule is their means of change. But I still believe in the family today. God has a model for the family, but we have to do it His way. We have to study what God says and say, you know what? This isn't my way. I got to do it God's way. God blesses his way. Can I say that today? I pray it all the time. I prayed it for years. I see now these other young men of God praying it over their families that my wife is a fruitful vine by the side of my house and my children are as all the plants around about my, my table. I can speak a prophetic blessing. Whatever oil of gladness, whatever joy, whatever favor God puts on my life flows off me unto my spouse and to my children and it continues a generation of blessing, not cursing. But it's an order that God establishes in the earth and God chooses to bless it. You break the order, you break, you break the blessing. And that's what's happened right in front of our eyes. Number eight, be aware of the platform. Be aware of the platform. 
What do you mean the platform? You better know more about the platform of the Democratic agenda, and you also need to know what the Republican platform is. Sister Pat, I talked to your mama this week, and she encouraged me so much. I talked to Sister Mary on the phone and just visiting with her because COVID, not coming out to church, and I just wanted to catch up with her. And before she got off, here's a, a, sister saint, a, 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 a senior saint of God. She said, Brother Brown, she said, I just want to thank you for teaching me several months ago and over these last few years about the importance of knowing the platform. She said, because I always before just kind of just accepted things, you know, this is the way it is, this is the way it is, and I'd never decided to get in and look at the platform. Look at the platform. That's why for all the never-Trumpers and the Trump haters, it ain't got anything to do about Trump. It's got everything to do about the platform. It wouldn't have mattered had it been Ted Cruz. It wouldn't have mattered if, if somebody was standing on the platform preaching pro-life, preaching pro-family, preaching American values, then it would have still been hated. It would have still been in the target. It's not the person, it's the platform. Don't forget that. Number nine, don't be ashamed of historic patriotism. Don't be ashamed of it. America has never been perfect. Absolutely, we all agree. And there are sins on the fabric of this nation's founding. We all know. But the core values of over two centuries made it the envy of the world. Where people will die to get here. Now people that have fled failed government nations migrate and some, especially from Muslim countries, want to recreate what they fled from. That's how deception and how deceived we are. I'm not ashamed to say that I'm a veteran of the United States Air Force. I'm not ashamed to say I believe in red, white, and blue. I'm not ashamed to say there are great values that I believe. Again, I'm not saying that there's been, not been failure, wrong, error. There, as long as there are human beings, there's going to be error. But I'm not ashamed to say I was proud to be an American. And lastly today, number 10, give no place. Give no place. To what, Pastor? No pl give no place. Certainly to evil or wickedness in my own heart. Before I judge anything or anyone or anything else, I've judged myself. You missed a great place to say amen. You know, before when, this, when we first came back after COVID and we had the George um, Floyd, uh, you know, unfortunately tragic death and then the violent upheaval after that, you know, I stood on this platform and I, and I said, you know, I don't want to be guilty. I don't want to be a racist. I don't, I, I don't want to be a racist. But you know what? Today I'm tired of being called a racist simply because I'm white. I didn't ask to be white. I didn't ask, nobody asked their race. That's just who you are, right? And we can value one another. And just because I'm white and you're brown, black, or yellow, doesn't matter. Doesn't mean that you're racist. Doesn't mean that I'm racist. To notice the difference does not mean that I'm racist. That I'm getting tired of all, I'm getting tired of being called a homophobic, being called hateful. I don't believe that in, in the lifestyle of homosexuality. I believe that you can choose that. You can. I can't stop you. I don't believe that we ought to call it marriage because it's not marriage. But I want to say this very quickly today. Again, I don't have malice in my heart towards the homosexual community. I can't stop you. I just can't validate it. But that's to see, that's what you want. That's what they want. I've said it all along. They want me as a pastor to affirm the lifestyle because then if I'm affirming it, God must be affirming because I stand as a representative of God and I'm not going to do that today but I'm given no place I'm tired of being called that just because I disagree hello 
Let's go a little bit farther. Don't sell your beliefs or heritage to the distorted ideas of this wicked generation. Naboth perished for what he believed. But his testimony continues to inspire us hundreds and hundreds of years later. While Ahab and Jezebel are iconic with evil in government for any generation. Give no place. Many other pro-American ideas I could have mentioned. I could have mentioned the pro-First Amendment. I could have mentioned the pro-Second Amendment. I could have mentioned pro-Israel. I could have mentioned a constitutional republic, not a democracy that we see here propagated all the time. Because that's nothing more than creating mob rule. That's what 51% is all it takes. And we've got all the power. The rights of the other uh, minority then are no longer respected. That's not what our founding fathers gave us. They asked Ben Franklin after those many weeks and weeks of producing in the Constitutional Convention, when they, when they emerged, someone asked Ben Franklin, said, what type of government did you give us? And he said, we gave you a republic if you can keep it. Today, these are, I could have said more, but these are enough to restate as your pastor my beliefs. That's what the message is entitled. What you do with this, I cannot say. These are my beliefs. But mine eyes have seen the glory, Shane, of the coming of the Lord. He's trampling out the vintage where the grapes of wrath are stored. He hath loosed the fateful lightning of his terrible swift sword, but his truth is marching on. I've seen him in the watchfires of a hundred circling camps. They have builded him an altar in the evening dews and damps. I can read his righteous sentence by the dim and flaring lamps. His day is marching on. He has sounded forth the trumpet that shall never sound retreat. He is sifting out the hearts of men before his judgment seat. Oh, be swift, my soul, to answer him. Be jubilant, my feet. Our God is marching on. As you stand up today to close in prayer, listen to this. In the beauty of the lilies, Christ was born across the sea with a glory in his bosom that transfigures you and me. As he died to make men holy, let us live to make men free while God is marching on. The old song said, glory, glory, hallelujah. Glory, glory, hallelujah. His truth is marching on. Father, we love you today. We stand in this room. We stand here today humbled before you. We don't have all the answers to every situation. We wrestle oftentimes with our own convictions. Sometimes, God, we are caught in that place where we don't know what to do. But we do what we have been told to do. We lift up our eyes unto you.